Hey guys. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Selfie Show. Where we are bringing the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, and podcaster. And I'm Sam, fight nurse, podcaster, powerlifter, co-host of The Selfie Show. Today we are off the clock, unfiltered with Nurse Sonia. One of our most requested guests, actually. Uh, the funny thing was, is... The day after we recorded, yes. someone emailed us literally to say, I have a request for a guest who I think would be a really good fit. She wrote this book and we're like, we just recorded that last <laughs> yeah. night. I read that email and I was like, that's so funny. I was like, well, you're in luck. Great minds think alike yes. over here at the Selfie Show. You want it? You got it. Here we go. And yeah, you guys, best-selling author. She's an entrepreneur, content creator. I actually think today's very deep. Today is um, a real, we didn't, I didn't expect this to go the way it did. I needed it. It was like a very cathartic episode. It was. Um, So, unpopular opinion of the week. Victoria. Yes, this actually comes from my dad, actually. My dad inspired me on this one. Papa Servine came in strong on this. All right, ready for it? I am. Last names should be carried through the women, not men. I love a feminist Tory (laughs) moment. I'm here for it. It's so great. Okay, this is sparked from my dad. Okay, and this is where the conversation came from. So one of my cousins um, growing up, he was adopted by um, by his stepdad. Um, and consequently, things like kind of fell through. And, and so he's changing his name back to his dad's biological name. And my dad's question was, well, why doesn't he just take his mom's last name? Like his mom's maiden name instead. And I thought that was a really interesting question because my cousin didn't really have a relationship with his bio dad. And so it's really interesting to me because, you know, when you're talking about the whole idea of carrying down, you know, generation after generation, to me, it just makes more sense that we carry last names through the women. I don't know. I don't know why all of a sudden we need to be carrying our the the name of the father figure. Like, it's just such a weird concept to me, actually, yeah, now actually, that you think about it. Who physically birthed? The human. Yes. Who grew Like the line is carried through the them. woman. Yeah. Really. When you really think about it. But I mean, it takes two to tango. Obviously. So, but it's like, also, if you're getting married, why are you taking either's names? Why aren't you just coming up like, now yeah. you guys are a new union together. Why are we not just- Make a new, a new name. Family name. Oh, I kind of like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah, know. yeah. I mean, it's funny too, because <laughs> now that I think about it, my brother and uh, Megan- Oh, yeah. They named their boy, it's Vincent William Servine the third. Because of course my brother's the second, so he wanted to carry on the third. But I'm just like, it's such a funny concept to me, like the idea of that, the lineage happening like that. I don't know if it's just like, I don't know. I if think, I get married, I don't know if I would take, yeah. change my last name. At this I point. like my last name. Yeah. My last name's fucking rad. You have a great last right? name. Manasero. Man-ass. I put the ass in Manasero. Like, I don't think that I want to change it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Plus well, the paperwork, the amount of shit I'm it takes still to change your name. It. Like, why? Yeah, it's a big pain in the butt. And I'm like, I got that. my degrees with my name. Mm-hmm. I built this podcast off my own yeah. name. Like, this is me, baby. I don't know. Or even like doctors who choose to keep their last name. Like, yeah. I would absolutely, if I had become a doctor or anything, I would have kept my name. I get when you name. have kids, you want your kids to have the same name as you. But yeah, I well, and I have kids ever. So, like, does it matter? I changed my middle name to my former last name. So, I dropped that's my what I would have for sure when I was engaged. That was my plan. Yeah, my middle name is Lynn. When you are born in the 80s, <laughs> your birth certificate literally comes with like a 
like so it's a blank spot for your like first name and a blank spot for your last name katie land but for your middle name you just have to bubble a b or c (laughs) if you were born in the 80s and you were a girl especially if you white girl born in the 80s it was like you have the option of your middle name being marie lynn or ann and those are the three choices (laughs) you don't get to pick you don't get to pick it's like your parents have to be like all right what do you want a b or c my parents were like "Mm, b lynn samantha lynn manicero done (laughs) check move it on it's kind of a hot porn name you know that would be a hot porn name if i started only fans i should just be lynn like to me victoria lynn that's definitely a porn name but what's your middle name amanda was i know that's long i know it's the mexican victoria and amanda Amanda. that's a lot of it's a a lot lot. i know because i feel like my best friend her middle name's lynn I know so many people that their middle name's Anne. My mom's middle, middle name's name is Anne. Laurel Anne. Or how many Marie's? How many of you listening is your middle name Marie? All of you. <laughs> but my fellow Lynn's caller, if let us know your middle name in, the, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in, the, in this episode. We need to know. We want to know. <laughs> if your middle name is Lynn, Marie, or Anne, I would like some validation. It's definitely something Chime where like in. the flow of names. There's like a few... Yeah. Um, those are the top three. And then there's like a few like runner ups. Mm. Like they didn't podium, okay. but they like honorable mentions or like Renee. Okay. Back in the eighties. Oh, was like a my, big one. my aunt's name. So it's Janice Ray. That was another one. That's yeah. an honorable mention. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good reserve champion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> First runner up. Names are funny. Yeah. Names are weird. I, can't I, hated, imagine. My, I hated my name when I was little. Really? I thought Samantha, because there was an American girl doll named Samantha, and she was like the stuck-up bitch. But then once (laughs) I realized that I am a stuck-up bitch, I was like, oh, Samantha's actually a perfect name for me. Yeah, like eventually when we name our future children there's definitely some names like i will not be using because you just like your brain goes to those like people and you're like "Ooh, i cannot name you this even though i love this name but like it's just it gives you that ping Mm -hmm. of like i cannot Mm -hmm. name there's a few people Mm -hmm. that i that hate their name yeah the person sorry courtney you're not coming no no courtney's here sorry rachel's (laughs) and Kristen's. just kidding um so anyways um Well, what about like NICU trauma of names? Like there's some Mm. names where I'm like, I love that name. And so I had a NICU baby with that name and I'll never be able, like, I can't look at it the same. I don't know. There's just certain names where it's like, "Mm, I don't know. It just gives bad. You just just don't do it. You know, we keep it high. We keep it light. Naming a human is a hard thing. When I was like in third grade, I had all my baby names picked out and they were Absurd. that was a they thing when we were growing up so when i was like in third grade i was gonna have like six kids or something and yeah of course they're all girls because obviously i was obsessed with the name liberty london wow i wanted to name my, my daughter fucking imperial <laughs> what is wrong with me and then that's actually kind of on brand for like everything that's going on with names right now and then i loved the name sophia before the sophia mm, outburst of praise. the mid 2010s that whole like last decade that yeah. sophia outburst before that when it was like an old grandma name i loved sophia when i was little and i think it's because i read this book about a baby that they found in a basket and her name was baby sophia with an f <laughs> i don't know i was sophia like a weird, with an f. weird kid and oh. like, i love babysitters club so i love the name claudia Claudia is great. I love yeah. that name. You know what's interesting though? I think the trend I'm seeing right now in baby world is older names are coming back. I feel like that trend started though because people are starting to do like, but now it's like, before it was like they were doing classic names. So I think there's a difference between old names yeah. and classic names. Like for a while, classic names like Sophia, 
Catherine. Yes. Scarlet, William. William. Edward. But now it's getting into these like old grandma names where they're like, I'm Ellen. A, yeah. Vivian. Yeah. Like names that like weren't <laughs> cute anymore. And they're like, yeah, yeah we're yeah. going to name you like Edith again. Yeah. Like, yeah, what? yeah. Yeah. They're coming back. Edith was like your 90 year old grandma. Yeah. But I kind of love it. Like a little baby Edith. Is so <laughs> cute. Oh my God. You just like look at it and you're like, oh, or like a, so like look at a baby boy and you're like, Benjamin. It's just like such can a you, grown up name for such you, a like, little name person. your child Marge for me? <laughs> I would love that. I don't like that name. I know. It's going to be, it's like just, I don't know why I go to Simpsons for that yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Names are interesting. We love that. Yeah. Naming a human is um, daunting. I don't know how people do it. I know. We'll be there one day, hopefully, but I don't know. I'm like, ooh. I named my plants. Oh, that's my first one. plants were named um, Wendy, April, and Patty. <laughs> Wet ass pussy. Pa- my WAP plants, Wendy, April, Patty, are still all alive. I got them October 2020, and my WAP plants are thriving. Yes, that's on brand for you. Yes. I love that. <laughs> you have to name your plants, though. Well, on that note, oh, you guys, um, we're getting into it today. ADHD tangent with we the love baby that for names, us. but here we are. All but right. we have a good, good show today. So we have Dr. Sonia Mitre- <laughs> Mitreska. I butchered that. I'm sorry, so Sonia. sorry, love Sonia. You. <laughs> but she is like her parents were Macedonian immigrants. So mm-hmm. I am not a linguist. I can barely speak English properly, <laughs> let alone other people's languages. So again, mm. but people butcher Manicero. Yeah, I get called Manasero, Mancero, Man- like whatever. <laughs> All the so things. I do apologize. But anyways, Dr. Sonia is a certified registered nurse anesthetist. She's an advanced practice nurse, over 10 years of experience. But the cool thing about her is she has a background in English literature before becoming a nurse. And her goal by her 30th birthday was to become a published author. Nailed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her first book is called Oh Shit, I Almost Killed You. A little book of big things nursing school forgot to teach you. Sold over 150,000 copies and just really goes into nursing and lifestyle. And she's been featured in the Huffington Post. Yeah, she's been all over. Like, amazing nurse, even better author. Yeah, and then she wrote two more books. Her second book, Coffee with My Dead Mother, Lessons on Lost Hope and Navigating a new normal released in February of 2022. And then her third book released, you won't feel a thing. The drama tragedy and comedy of nursing in April of 2022. You guys, she is absolutely wonderful. And after a decade in the healthcare industry, she just really wanted to create a space that stretches beyond the walls of the hospital. And she is doing just that with enduring life experiences that have challenged her and inspired her with growth. She's focused on providing sources of information and expertise. And as she puts it, it's time to focus on less on our work and more on our wellness. And we cannot be here for that message anymore. We love it. And so without further ado, let's get into it with Dr. Sonia. We want to kick this off with your unpopular opinion. Okay. So I know this is going to alarm some of you, but I actually think that peanut butter and jelly isn't a real meal. And I don't think it constitutes like an actual sandwich. <laughs> you sound upset. Words over am, I, am I stressing you? I'm, I'm not upset. I'm just disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were it's expecting like, more. I, I spent... I spent $9 on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich this week in Vegas. 
She did. Out of what? the sandwich shop I went to that had like 40 sandwiches on the menu, I ordered a peanut butter and jelly. Listen, I, I grew up in an immigrant household where when you went to lunch for school, you brought like a hot lunch. It didn't matter how hard your parents worked. You weren't like eating peanut butter and jelly for lunch. It's crazy. You know what's so, funny? I actually feel like, okay, maybe I'm going to side with you on this because I don't think I've ever been a peanut butter and jelly girl, girly. Like, it's never been, like, my go-to. Right. But you're a connoisseur. Well, I also, I hated pizza growing up. I've never liked pizza as a child, as an adult. So when we used to go to birthday parties, it's, like, for kids, the cheapest way to feed a party of elementary school kids yeah, of is, course. Like, a pizza party. Of course. So I would always bring my own little like sack lunch, little brown bag lunch to birthday parties with me with a peanut butter and jelly in it because I didn't want to eat pizza. I swear I was like, am so I triggering good. your childhood right now? I didn't mean to go there. You're making me want a peanut butter and jelly because I am passionate about them. I love them so much and I'm very like specific. I like the peanut butter to jelly ratio matters. The type of jelly, the type of peanut butter, the type of bread. Like, there's so many variables to make the perfect PB&J. Listen to me. It's not a meal. I don't care. I don't oh, care I how many different types she of peanut butter. I don't care if it's chunky or creamy. I do not care. It's not a meal. I didn't try my first peanut butter and jelly sandwich until I was 25 years old. And even then, I was like, well, this is that fine. Is this is fine. <laughs> You know, this is okay. Have you ever had a toasted peanut butter and jelly? That's I, a hot meal. You know what? I, that's a hot I, meal. In your defense, it is. That's, that's a very good point. You toast but, it with butter on it, and then the peanut butter gets kind of melty. And the Oh, I might have that for dinner. I don't know. I, did, I feel like old. now maybe you can open like a food truck, a peanut butter and jelly food truck, and just go from place to place with oh all different God. types. Is that like a great idea? Actually might be here in LA. That, that I think is. so, but I think there might be like a sandwich truck with like very um, custom, you, you know, I think that actually might exist. Do you want to know what I that. did to my PB&J though in Vegas? So there's this sandwich shop in Vegas <laughs> called Chiba Hut and it's kind of like a stoner sandwich shop. So all the like, like the size of the sandwiches are like, you can get a nug or a like, like oh, everything's a weed reference. So my, the PB&J is called the Sticky Icky. Like every sandwich and like reference on there is all like a pot reference. So, but they have like a bunch of ingredients, like hot Cheetos that you can put in your, like, you know what I mean? It's like a stoner designed menu, but I (laughs) added prosciutto to my PB and J. Oh my God. And okay. I I've gone to the sandwich shop a couple of times and I do that. And someone like the first time I ordered it, the person at the front was like horrified. And then when I ordered it this time, the girl was like, Hmm, never heard that actually sounds pretty good and i was like try it later see i'm on, i'm you guys i promise Maybe, i am I'm mortified Italian, so i will add prosciutto to i no listen i'm I think, on your side on this one so it was so bacon. good no i don't think it was I'm, so i'm i'm mortified right now and i feel like you're really just substantiating the fact that if it, and sweet. if it doesn't have like a hot meat in it then you made it a sandwich it wasn't a sandwich until you added the meat like I just you know. want it salty. I want, I'm Italian. I'll put prosciutto on anything like, <laughs> that I can, if, if I, prosciutto is an option on the menu, I'm adding it to, to whatever I'm getting, even if it doesn't I, go like a peanut butter this, and jelly sandwich. <laughs> maybe I, okay. So here's what I hope anyone who listens to this podcast, please just try it and comment 
under the the box for wherever this podcast lives because I need yeah, to know. Yeah, we got to know. Think. We need yes, we need to know. I need absolutely. feedback. We need some feedback on I'm this one, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need we feedback. Need ten out of ten. <laughs> I am I, okay, truly so like I'm amazed. I'm amazed. <laughs> Have oh that effect God. on people. Yes, she does. <laughs> um, wait. So, okay. Uh, you mentioned this, which, which I think is one of the most wonderful things about you. And I love. We love learning about cultures here. So, you are the daughter of immigrants. Can we yeah. get into that a little bit? And yeah. Your background. Yeah. So, my mom and dad come from a very tiny Eastern European country called Macedonia. Um, it, when I tell people that I'm Macedonian. They ask me if I'm Mesopotamian. They ask me if I'm macadamian, <laughs> like the nut. <laughs> they aren't quite. They are. They aren't quite sure that it actually exists. I promise you, it's a real country, and it. You know, they have a real language and everything. So my parents came here um, in the early '80s, and they had absolutely nothing. They lived in the basement apartment of a very good family friend of ours, who helped them sort of get their bearings when they came here, and you know, they really did everything and gave everything for my sister and myself to have the opportunity to have a life here that they couldn't necessarily have there. That's amazing. I, we love learning, obviously, about languages and cultures. It's Eastern Slavic, correct? Is that the language yeah. that, they, that you speak? Yeah. So it's Macedonian. It's the Cyr- Cyrillic alphabet. Can you say something in Slavic? Sure. I mean, but you're not going to have any idea what I'm saying anyway. So it's... <laughs> that's like one of the that's she one of the fuck you <laughs> that's i mean that's one of my favorite like, parts about <laughs> such an such an obscure language my sister and i used to be able to go anywhere and just like oh. trash talk anything and so few people that, knew what we were that's saying. A, that is the dream that is it is the absolute dream if it I is that ability with like my it is you know, it, it brings such joy to know that very few people are going to have any clue that you're actually talking about them. So has it ever happened, though, where you guys were and someone randomly that you would never have expected, like spoke back to you in your language? You know, that you like, that oh, shit, like we had no idea that that hasn't happened. But like I've it's happened to me, actually, when people think that I don't understand or speak Spanish, because I actually have a pretty extensive background in, in Spanish mm-hmm. language. So they've actually spoken about me in front of me, and I've responded back in Spanish. And they're like, what the fuck? Like this? Where did this girl come from? Yes, they're very, very confused. But that's happened to me a number of times, the opposite way. <laughs> so, yeah, I love languages. So you speak three languages. Yeah, I, I used to be very, very good at Spanish. I studied it from sixth grade all the way through college, and I almost had enough to do a second major. Um, but I never, I was, <laughs> I was poor, and I couldn't go study abroad anywhere. I had to work. So I had a very extensive background, but never really got to get immersed in it. Um, that being said, I can still do a pretty mean uh, anesthesia assessment in Spanish, which I always apologize up front about how it's it's mediocre but we can get through so what was it like growing up in an immigrant household for you what was it like you know one of my very best girlfriends is the child of cuban immigrants and she put it best the number one rule for being the child of immigrants is you learn how to lie (laughs) (laughs) you learn how to hide anything 
And it's actually not very true for me. I was, I'm a, I was a very good kid. I was a big dork and a big nerd. But like, my parents didn't know what college entails. My parents had no idea what happens when people go away to college. They didn't realize that parties are a thing. They didn't realize the extent of what happens. So those are the things you kind of keep to yourself when you are around the parents. Better, better, better that they don't know. Lots of slang, lots of terminology. Those things are just off the table. That's, you're not teaching them any of that stuff. You're teaching them the bare minimum to get through their conversations. But some things are better left unspoken. So, you know, it was to me growing up before we moved, when I was a little bit older, I grew up in a neighborhood that had such diversity and such culture in a part of the tri-state area that I thought it was normal that every single kid in my class spoke two languages. I mean, that's just how it was. And I'm very grateful for that experience and that immersion because it just made it feel like second nature that you're around a whole different melting pot of people. Um, that, that being said, the work ethic that comes from people who left everything behind to start new is something that really resonates extensively. Um, and, you know, I, I tell people every day, I've always had a love of learning and a curiosity of learning, and that's always been innate. But I've seen, you know, my, my parents, my dad, who has been a, a butcher and a meat cutter and who worked at Costco for, you know, almost 30 years of his life and worked his way up. And my mom, who, you know, took whatever job she could after leaving, she was brilliant in her home country. She was the most phenomenal writer and speaker. She, was, she had dreams of becoming a journalist and she left it all behind to come here so that she could start a life for you know, my sister and myself someday. And knowing that and understanding how much sacrifice they made and how much they left behind to give me the opportunity that I have today, that instilled a very deep passion for, to me, education is not a right, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to go to school. It's a privilege to be able to get a graduate edu education. It's a privilege to be able to learn instead of having to just do whatever you need to do to get by. And I try to keep that mindset every day, even you know when I was in the thick of grad school and it was brutal and you're trudging along and it feels like the time just doesn't pass and the days are so long. That was always in the back of my mind that I'm, I'm given an opportunity that many people aren't provided. You're obviously a very profound writer um, and we were digging around on, on your website and I found a blog that you did and you said this, I feel, I felt obligated to honor the immense sacrifices of those who came before me. And I don't know, there was just something really, really deep. And I really, I would love for you to dig into that a little bit, because I do think that, you know, we take things for granted, right? And there are moments that I've had similar to yours where like, I just, I've, I, I struggled through school academically. But I'm really curious because I feel like this drive that you have is so deeply rooted in you. Can you expand on that a little bit? All right. You know, it's got me feeling good. Hmm. Ritual vitamins, baby. I love them. So obsessed <laughs> with this new partner. Get your ritual on, you guys. We are so thrilled to be partnered with Ritual as we've been using these products, as you guys know, for over a year. And here's why we love Ritual. They're scientists sifted through all thousands of research studies to determine what nutrients they want to include in their products. And you can even, they're so transparent, go on their website. They make the studies available. 
They are all about a food first approach to nutrient intake and believe a multivitamin should only help fill the gaps in your diet. That's why you only find nine nutrients in their essential for women, 10 in essential for men and 12 in their essential for prenatal. None of that shady extra additives. They are all non-GMO ingredients. They're vegan. They have delayed release capsules. So you help deliver the nutrients straight to the small intestine, better absorption, can eat them on an empty stomach because you know I'm living off that coffee and no breakfast life <laughs> over here. for you. Yep. They are easy to start, easy to cancel, free shipping, and you can control your delivery date. We love that for us. Change it up. Absolutely. Easy cancellation at any time, 30-day money-back guarantee freaking obsessed absolutely healthy habits start here head over to ritual.com and use the code selfie c-e-l-l-f-i-e dash a-m-b and get 15 percent off of your first order again that's ritual.com code selfie c-e-l-l-f-i-e dash a-m-b and get that 15 percent off love that for you perfection it is you know and it's in large part i think when you know where people came from. And it's not just that it's not like my parents left behind some lavish life. They were, they lived on tobacco farms in a tiny village in a remote country. And, you know, my dad tells me a story about when he first came to the United States, he literally had $70 in his pocket. And the taxi driver from JFK airport in New York charged him exactly $70 to get to where he was going. And he was left with absolutely nothing. So my dad ended up finding a job at a restaurant and he worked on New Year's Eve as a waiter. And he had extensive restaurant training back in Macedonia. So he did very well. He did not know the language at all. I learned English through Sesame Street. Like we all learned together. He did not know the language at all. And he served on this wild, huge, lavish New Year's Eve party. And he made 300 American dollars that night. And he said, this is the American dream. You can come here in one day and create that for yourself. And to this day, he still tells that story as sort of that trigger for saying, even when times are tough and even when things were difficult, I was given an opportunity to literally go from nothing to that much at one point in time. It's like goosebumps. That's yeah. like such a powerful story. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, you know, it's funny to me because it feels just, it just feels normal. It feels like the only thing I've ever mm-hmm. known. And I think that's why, you know, my, a large part of my own imposter syndrome, even sitting here talking to you guys right now and having an audience and having an outlet and having people who, you know, reach out to me. So much of that stems from the fact that I'm like, who am I? You know, I, how is this possible? How did I get to this place? It's a very surreal thing when you grow up with the mindset of you need to work for every single thing that you've ever had. And then when you get to a certain place, you wonder if it's all going to be taken away. And I think anyone who grew up from a modest or meager beginning would probably agree that you just sit there. Listen, if I'm not working two jobs minimum at any point in time, I feel like something is, is wrong. I feel like I'm not doing something right. And I understand that logically. 
that doesn't make sense. But if you came from a certain background, that's going to be ingrained in you. So just to have the opportunity to sit here and talk to you guys, it's crazy. You know what's interesting, though, is you mentioned how your mom back at home was such an amazing, like, author, speaker, wanted to go into journalism, and then left that behind to come here for your sister and yourself to give you guys opportunities. And now here you are, this amazing author with this platform who's being able to speak to others. And it's, I don't know, that's just a really cool story. And I don't know, that's amazing to me that what she left behind to give you guys that you're giving now the world. Like that's, ah, that's so awesome. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where it, it came full circle and it definitely manifested mm-hmm. through me without question. It, it came to life so through cool. me. Um, and I, you know, I, I tell people all the time and I try to not freak them out. I'm like, well, my mom is like a touch of psychic. <laughs> my mom knew a lot. My mom was very highly connected to whatever there is in this I'm universe. obsessed with this so much that you said that because I I love I'm fascinated by people with that because there are people that I I'm really drawn to that kind of energy and those kinds right. of people. Right. I love that. So, I mean, I I will tell you. I've I've gotten some of that from her and for many many years I suppressed it and I ignored it and I tried to shut it out, but she was so highly connected that years ago, years ago, before I ever, before I was even an English major, before I became a nurse years ago, like when I was a teenager, she told me because she just knew that I was going to be a writer someday and I was going to be an author. Like she just knew there was no question that was nowhere on my radar. That was nowhere on my trajectory. I had no idea that any of this would happen at any point in my life. And yet when it did happen and when my first book, which again, I, you know, I published it thinking it was a bucket list item. I literally said by my 30th birthday, I want to write a book. And if the only people who buy it are my parents, cool. When that book ended up selling far more than I could have ever dreamed, my mom just looked at me knowingly. She wasn't surprised. She wasn't shocked. She was proud, but she always knew. So, you know, having that connection with somebody and having the background that I come from, that sort of stuff is what makes these moments feel very serendipitous. And it makes these conversations feel like, listen, I know this is a deep conversation to be having, after we just talked about the merits of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, <laughs> but that's it's what we being get here a, on the selfie show. That's what I, but that's what I love. That's yeah. what I love to be, to be able to do, you know, go from one place to another and have it all sort of connect again. This may sound like a really maybe trivial question, but if you could go back, is there anything about your upbringing that you would have changed you know, that's a difficult question. I, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of who I am today. And I'm very proud of the person that I've become. Um, I think that it's not necessarily my upbringing that made me such a chronic people pleaser for so many years. But I think that that's in large part being a woman, you know, being a member of this society, being an empath, being a, a sort of feeling and giving compassionate human being. Um, I'm not sure that that is 
specifically tied to my childhood, but you know, presumably it's definitely connected. Um, but for the most part, you know, I'm not someone I've gone through some shit in life, but I've never been somebody who harbors any regret or resentment. And I truly mean that I'm not, I don't feel well. I don't feel right when I keep that anger or resentment or aggression within me. I don't operate at that level. I feel best when I can forgive and move on or overcome and move on or turn it into something that is going to be positive for other people. And I don't know if that's something that maybe that is something that stems from growing up how I grew up. But for the most part, you know, if my biggest if my biggest issue was that my parents loved me too much, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that. A good problem to have. Yeah. So you come here and it's like your dad said, like, here I am opportunity. What made you decide nursing? All right. It's 2022. If you're not in your dream job yet, first of all, Let's fix that. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is something that we've talked about here. Something that we don't highlight enough in healthcare is how to stand out in your job search. That's why we are obsessed with Resume Rx. Getting your dream job starts with your resume. That's your first impression. We have both used these products and cannot seriously recommend them enough. They are so easy to use. They come with templates that are fill in the blank for your resume and cover letter. There's six different templates to choose from. You can even buy the bundle where you get all of them in one purchase. She offers prompts for each section. There are new grad layouts with spots for clinical rotations. There is a matching cover letter and reference list template as well. The layouts are all in Google Docs, Apple, and even Microsoft Word. You guys, these are seriously the easiest ways to make your resume stand out. And we love these products. Get noticed, baby. Get on the map and we can give you 20% off. Absolutely. Head over to the resumerx.com and use code SELFIE, C-E-L-L-F-I-E for 20% off. Again, that's the resumerx.com and use code SELFIE. And let us know when you get your dream job. Absolutely. Head us back. Love you. Bye. You know, I, I actually was working at MTV in their legal department. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Love this for you. I, I, worked, I worked for MTV Networks in their legal department. And it was like a corporate, very corporate role, but it was obviously in the entertainment industry, the media industry, which is a far cry from what, what it's like to be in the hospital. When I, before that point in time, when I first went to college, I thought that I wanted to go to medical school. My mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was 18. And that experience was so traumatizing to somebody who, at that point, I sort of knew that I was becoming her caretaker in many ways because I knew the language better than my father did. I didn't know anything about healthcare, but I was somehow the go-to person. And that news led me to say, I will never set foot in hospital again. I will never, ever enter the world of healthcare. If I'm not going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer. So I transferred from colleges to be closer to home. I left my scholarship at a different university behind, and I came to be closer to home so that I can either for treatments and help with stuff around, you know, locally. And that's when I ended up 
taking all of my little sciences that I had already started, and I ended up getting an English degree. So I studied English. I ended up interning in the city and then taking this job, which was a phenomenal, it was a phenomenal opportunity at the time. And I'm very thankful for it because the people that I met through that experience, excuse me, are still some of the most instrumental human beings in my life and some of my closest friends. Like truly they are people who have impacted my life since years and years ago. And yet I sat on a train that was stalled for 45 minutes in the heat of the summer, waiting and waiting and waiting, doing the daily grind, doing the daily commute. And it literally hit me. I said, what do I want in a career? At this point, it was the recession. The economy was like going to crap. I was very fortunate to have a job with an income and health insurance and all of that stuff at the time because the economy was absolutely tanking. And I wrote down three things that I wanted for myself in a career. And I said, I want to give, to learn, and to grow. And as I sat on the train, I still had that piece of paper somewhere in a box. I said, how come I never thought about nursing? How come I didn't even realize that nursing was an option? And maybe that's because I wasn't exposed to it. Maybe that's because for my parents, in their country, nurses are very different than they are here, at least at the time. You know, there was a different perception on what they did. There was a different role. They didn't quite have the level of respect that they have in this country. So I decided I'm going to look into nursing school. And I applied to nursing programs while I was working in my corporate career. And I ended up walking away from it and going back to being a waitress and bartender while I went to school full time. And then I took a job as a patient care technician at the hospital. So I worked two jobs while I was in school full time, putting myself through nursing school. And truly, the reality is watching my mom go through her treatment and the nurses that took care of her and understanding that physicians have a phenomenal role in what they do, but the person truly caring for the patient from minute to minute is the nurse. That's what put me in that place. That's what shifted me into that perspective. I'm really curious about your journey into DNP because that's, that's a lot. So it is a, a lot. Very, you know, DNP, it's a lot. Um, it is a lot. So curious, it is a lot. You know. Yeah. How did you start as a nurse and then maybe the decision to go that route? What was the decision like for you? Yeah. So as a new graduate, I worked on a high acuity uh, heart failure and heart transplant unit. And that was for the first like 13 months of my career. And this was at a level one trauma center where patients in a step down unit in other hospitals would have been intensive care unit patients. I mean, they were they had they were critical patients. You know, they're walking around on milrinone drips with ejection fractions of 10, 15%. They're either awaiting transplant or had a transplant. Um, it was phenomenal experience because my preceptors were such amazing human beings on that unit. And because the amount of knowledge that I was filled with in that year on that floor and the amount of just absolute mental preparation figuring out how to prioritize, figure out how to manage the task, that was crucial for my start. But I, during nursing school, I witnessed an open chest code at the bedside during a clinical day. And they, the, the team got the patient back. And I remember thinking to myself, while I was in clinical, I'm going to work in that unit one day. I want to do what they did one day. That's the kind of nursing that I want to do. And 
I applied to that job in the CTICU and they told me I didn't have enough experience, but I didn't care. <laughs> and I got the interview anyway. And I got through the interview and then I got the job and then they, I had a six week orientation as a new ICU Ooh. nurse. That's it. Six, six, six weeks. So I had six weeks as a new grad and then I had six weeks as a new ICU nurse in the sickest unit in the hospital. And it was overwhelming, but it was exciting and it was adrenaline pumping, but terrifying. And ultimately that was a huge motivator in why I wrote my first book, because you don't realize how helpless and clueless you feel until you are literally in these life or death circumstances and you're looking to others to be there for you and to help you through. So I ended up on that unit. I, I was actually a CTICU nurse for five years before returning to um, my doctor in nurse anesthesia, which as far as nursing years goes, it's like dog years. Like that's a pretty long time before yeah. going back to school. Um, and during the time, during my time in the ICU, I actually had gotten into doctoral programs prior to when I actually left. And I got into one of the, one of the you know, a very prestigious program. I was accepted into it probably about two years into my career as an ICU nurse. And then I got a call while I was at work that the PET scan on my mom showed a mass on her lung. And I remember standing in an empty patient room while my three best friends from the unit let me have a full-blown panic attack. And I had two critical patients that I was taking care of. Meanwhile, I was like, I cannot do this again. I don't know how I'm going to do this again. I did it again because <laughs> that's just what you do. Um, and I had at the time probably one of the most incredible human beings on the planet who was my head nurse, and she covered my assignment for me. She made arrangements. She told me to get a ride home and leave and do not turn around and come back. I mean, that's just that's I the love those charge nurses. Those, yeah, those, those are the people you will forever remember as mm -hmm. instrumental during those moments. So she ended up requiring a lobectomy and at the time we weren't sure what the verdict was going to be whether it was going to be some sort of metastatic disease or something benign and she made it very clear that she did not want to endure chemo again after having gone through it before so i knew that this was going to be a crucial determination and i'm sitting in one of the top hospitals in new york city after her surgery and she's in pain and she's been writhing the entire day. And, um, you know, finally I end up convincing someone to go call a pain management consult. And I spoke to an amazing nurse anesthetist because they have a lot of CRNAs there who was very kind and very helpful and very clinically capable. And I ended up staying overnight that night. And I took out a piece of paper because it's what I do. Um, and I told myself by my 30th birthday, my goal was to write a book. And I had absolutely no idea how to write a book. I had no idea what I was going to write about. I don't know how to write a manuscript. I don't have a publisher. I don't have an editor. It didn't matter. 
my goal was by my 30th birthday, I was going to write a book because what was happening in front of me was a vast reminder that life is so fucking short. Graduate school will always be there. The traditional path will always be there. The easy path will always be there. The commonly taken road is always going to be there. It's those other moments where you're like, I don't know why I feel this nudge from the universe, but I have to listen to it. It's those moments that you have to follow. So I turned down my spot in that program. And I had people tell me that I'm crazy. I would be set for life. I could finish school and be done and, you know, have my nice living. And I, I, I did not care because that did not matter. I knew that I couldn't leave my family at that time. And I knew that I was feeling called and compelled to do something else. So I went with my gut. And while I was in the unit, I wrote my first book, Oh Shit, I Almost Killed You, in three months. I literally love the name, by the way. Thank you. Great name. Thank you. Thank you. I wrote it in three months. Um, I don't remember writing it. I just know that I went to Starbucks on my days off and I I wrote. Um, And it's a weird out-of-body experience when I write. People often ask me what my writing process is and how I structure it. And I'm like, I don't. I don't take notes. Blue, I was like going to ask you, what's your process? <laughs> I, I, it comes, oh. it comes when it comes out. It is prolific, and when it's a when it's a patch of just nothing, there's not much. But I know when I'm forcing it versus when it's coming from a place that I can't control. And I will often go back and read my own work, and I don't know who wrote it, <laughs> which is very common. So I ended up writing my book while I was in the unit and I ended up staying and getting what I thought was really phenomenal ICU experience in addition. And I ended up publishing my book and then I was able to, down the road, by the way, that pathology came back and it happened to be a benign tumor. So I continued somehow, um, not knowing how to be an influencer because I still that word still just makes me like cringe but I I do my I know, best we all get cringy with that. I know yeah, I not that. not know. knowing how to self-promote because you know we especially as women are supposed to be very humble deprecating we're of all, course yeah we it's like of course yeah, you can't of course be proud or yeah. brag about your of course yeah. of course us. Right. so you know navigating that trying to figure out how I'm supposed to market this book and then realizing that like holy shit it's actually doing really well and I don't know what I'm doing like I'm running out of inventory I'm my own manager I'm my own editor my own copywriter I'm all of it so wow. long story short I ended up reapplying to a different program where I was accepted for anesthesia and I was able to have an income come in because of my book. So it was much more comfortable for me to take a full-time graduate role, knowing at least that I would have something coming in. Because the thing that people don't always realize about a doctorate in nurse anesthesia is you, you truly can't work. Um, some people will attempt to work per diem here and there or a little bit at a time during breaks. But the workload is astronomical. And I think people hear the word nurse and nurse anesthesia, and they think it's going to be akin to nursing school, but truly it is such a different level and so much more challenging and so much more labor intensive than nursing school was. So that's how I entered my role in a doctorate 
program, which, I mean, it's wild enough to have to go back to feeling like a total beginner and a total novice. And it's hard enough to be completely brand new at a skill set every single day. You're, you're learning new skills from new people. You're in a different facility. I changed hospitals every eight weeks. So every eight weeks, I would have to impress a whole new staff, get to know a new facility, get to know new machines. Truly, that alone. Was ho- exactly. That's hard enough. And then, you know, yeah. then we have a global pandemic in the middle of it. So, mm, fun. Yeah. you know, it, it, right. I mean, right. Like, let's just let's let's Ooh. pour it all on. Let's let's throw it all out there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, graduate school was. I don't want to say it's one of the biggest challenges. It was extremely difficult. What it tested more was my relationships outside of school than it did my ability to perform in school. And that is what I will tell people before they pursue that world. You need to set expectations that no one's going to understand until you're in it. And you're not going to understand just how isolating it can be until you're the one enduring it. So when it's all said and done, I'm forever thankful for having gone through the experience. But the life experience and the life side of things, the things that have happened to me in the last year, two years, whatever of my existence, those are the real tests of your humanity, of your strength, of your resilience, of what you're capable of. School in a vacuum, extremely difficult but doable. School amid real life and real times and and balancing everything and navigating things, that's what makes it difficult. That's the hardest part. Yep. Actually, uh, we had on Everett, who's a, the Paramurse, um, and he's, you know, currently finished or he's in the process of finishing. And he said almost the exact same thing was the hardest part is, you know, how it affects you personally. Um, and for him, having his family close was a big, big piece of his decision as to what school he chose. Or the Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a big deal. And it's it's one of those things where people would say to me because they don't, you know, it's it's one thing when people outside of healthcare don't understand. It's a completely different thing when people who are even within healthcare, they also don't get it because they don't recognize just how taxing it can be. And people would say things to me like, well, can't you just pick a clinical site that's closer? It's like, no, I had no say in my clinical site. I was put wherever it was the best experience for that particular rotation. But I knew going into it that like when I tell you I spent thousands of dollars on Airbnbs and on car tolls, I mean thousands of dollars. And people need to realize before they jump into this type of a program, if you're giving up three and a half, you know, 36 months of a salary, you're giving up 36 months of a full-time job. You need to look at not only what investment you're making in terms of your student loans and everything else, but also the money that you're losing. And it's not that the money is the most important thing, but financial stress is a very, very real deal. And it's a very big impact. Um, and, you know, I, I can't, there is no way I would have survived or I would have stayed if it wasn't for my classmates. I had the most cohesive and incredible group of humans, and there was zero competition 
There was zero bullshit. We all stood together. We banded together. We supported one another throughout the entire program. And having those people to commiserate with, to talk to, to unload with. I mean, to this day, one of my very best friends on the planet, actually, we work at the same hospital now. And she was my doctoral partner. We joke that during anesthesia school, we just traded off traumas. <laughs> like, it's not funny. Yeah. It's not funny, but it's it kind is. of funny. Because yeah. if you don't laugh yeah. at it, it's going to be like, we literally just went back and forth with life's most insane, absurd things that happened. And somehow we got through it. And somehow we survived. So, you know, all of this is very funny to me. And the timing of it is funny because my mom passed away a week and a half after I started my career. Oh, wow. I started my job and she passed in September a week and a half later. And I believe with every part of my being that she didn't want me to enter this phase of my life worrying about her. And I believe she wanted to remind me that life is not about working all the time. Life is not about achieving the next major goal. Life is about enjoying this moment. Life is about the people that you love and the experience that you have and not necessarily just diving deep into whatever it is that's next. And I will tell you, old me, pre-pandemic, pre-therapy, pre-life shit, pre-mom dying me, would have said, it's fine, I'll make it to work today. Because it's a great way to distract yourself from whatever's going on in your real life. And I'm certain that plenty of people that work in healthcare use their job as a distraction from whatever is going on. You know that you have a sense of control when you walk into that hospital. You know if you go into that patient room or to that operating room or wherever you are, that you are in control to the best of your ability, even though you have no control outside. And I firmly believe that in her passing, she was teaching me that diving back into things isn't a way to live. It's not a way to process. It's not a way to honor your emotions. It's not a way to exist. So my own experience with grief, which has been a winding road, but for the most part, a very honest one, my experience has been much more authentic than I think it would have been otherwise. It's crazy. Your mom sounds like the, one of the most wonderful women. I get emotional thinking about it because like, I'm so close to my mom. But can you talk to us a little bit about your book? I coffee with my your dead mom. Yeah. I love this. Thank you. I, you know, I don't know. There's something about it that I think is just it's lighthearted, but it's very deep. Thank you. Yeah. What was this process like for you? And you know, you know. So coffee with my dead mother. Um, and I, I, you know, I sometimes I think to myself, my God, people must think I'm so morbid. But <laughs> you know, I I'm not. And I think what. You know, my mother loved her coffee and she loved for many, many years, she loved her cigarettes and she, you know, she would go outside in her garden and smoke her cigarette and enjoy her, her Turkish coffee. And that was, mm. that was her joy. That was, you know, that made her happy. And for somebody who for so many years of her life and my life was so sick, at some point I stopped lecturing because at some point I just said, you, you got to take whatever you want to enjoy. Those are the times when you have to say to yourself, 
I'm not a healthcare provider. I am this person's child. I am this person's family member. So when my mom passed, I, I knew the day before she passed and she wasn't, it was unexpected, but I knew I had a conversation with her in my head telepathically. And I went home from the rehab facility that she was in. She was getting ready to come home. And I wrote a goodbye letter to her because I knew it was the last time I would see her. And at five, that was at 6.30 p.m. on a Sunday. And at 5.01 the next morning, my father called me and said that she had passed away. That connection, it's eternal. And it's, it's not, there's no denying that connection. So a few weeks after she passed, I just felt, I mean, I felt every range of emotion. Um, it was the most complex and complicated experience of my life, but it was also, like I said, the most honest experience of my existence. And I felt compelled to write. And I, you know, I tell people I wrote the book in 10 days, but it was actually four days because I, I worked six of those days. So I wrote it in four of the days over a 10-day period. And when I tell you, I don't know where the book came from. I know that it was co-authored by her. It just came out say, of me. I was your mom. Yeah, my, it, my mom was right there. When she it was, just yeah, came out of me. And, you. and, you know, the the coincidental moments that weren't a coincidence, the moments where I know she was presenting herself to me I'm able to discuss this and not be in hysterics because I, Mm -hmm. number one, I know that she's around all the time. And number two, I was raised with somebody who did not fear death and dying. She was somebody who had Deepak Chopra books around the house and Sylvia Brown books around the house. And she was an avid reader and learner of the English, English language. But she always knew that on the other side of whatever this life is, there's more and there's something else. And this is not religious. This is not me talking to you about some sort of eternal whatever. This is purely just coexisting with a human who made it very normal to have conversations about death and about dying. And as someone who was a healthcare provider, and I have, I have witnessed death in every form, in every form I've mm-hmm. seen loss. But until it's your own person, you can't put it into words. You can't recapitulate that experience. So I wrote that book in such a short time frame that I almost was like, is it like, is this really finished? Did I really just do this? So I couldn't read it back to myself right away. I had to like let it sit for a few weeks. But then I was supposed to publish my second nursing book. You won't feel a thing. And I had it with the publisher on September 1st, and I told him to stop publication. I said, I don't know if I ever want to publish that book. I don't know what's going on in my life right now. You know, I, my entire world was rocked. So I stopped publication. And someone said to me, it was someone very close to me. They said, are you sure you want to rush and publish this book? And I said, yeah, like, who's, I'm, it's my book. I'm my own boss. Like, there's no reason why I, I couldn't. And yes, I just, I feel like I need to put it out there. So I sent it to my publisher and it was published in February of this year. And I brought 
like a hundred copies to work for the nurses and the staff at my hospital. And I just gave it to them for free. And I, I signed them all. And I said, you guys just keep taking them if you want them. Um, and the feedback that I've gotten from people is that it's an honest account of grief and of loss, but it's not as heartbreakingly sad as you would think. It's actually got a very positive message and a very positive note. And it's a reminder to live the life that you want to live and to create the life that you want to create and to embrace the things around you because the world will whisper and you're going to ignore it and it's going to whisper and you're not going to listen. And then one day it's going to scream. It's going to slap you in the face and you're finally going to listen. It's a reminder to listen to that nudge and that voice in your head because it won't, it won't direct you wrong. Who do you think needs to get their hands on on this book? I, I have people in my head, but do you have an audience that you think really need this? I do. I think, you know, I part of what I write about is the fact that grief has, n it's not just loss of a physical person. You can grieve the loss of your identity. You can grieve the loss of a relationship. You can grieve the loss of a part of yourself. Grief is such a profound thing. And yet it's something that we don't talk about enough. It's something that we feel very, we, especially in the United States, we shy away from the conversation. Taboo. It's extre I was extremely. If you thought that was cultural at all, yeah. because it I is. feel like yeah. be me being a critical care background when I've had three of my grandparents all die at home on hospice. And I'm the one who initiated hospice for all three of them. And it was like talking to my family about even the idea of hospice was like, <gasps> shocking. Yep. And yeah. I guess I'm just very comfortable around death mm -hmm. due to my profession. But I just started to realize like, wow, in this country, we don't talk about death at we don't. all. And other we countries don't. treat death so differently. Yeah. We, we don't. And, you know, I think that the most telling way that you know as a society that we're not good at having these conversations is that we're not good at having any of the difficult conversations. and. Death, True. death and death and grief are without question most people will have good intentions but they will attempt to gloss mm -hmm. over any sort of a deep dive and just give very you know pre-constructed words of sympathy it's the people who came mm -hmm. to me and said to me how are you really or how are you right now because for me to say, okay, is a bullshit answer. For me to say, okay, just implies, right. I, I'd like to end this conversation. I'd like to exit. I'm not going to. Yeah. But if I said to you, I'm okay, it means that I knew you didn't want to know. And I yes. think that. You're, you're making it easy for them. Correct. Well, people are asking as a, as a courtesy almost, or because it's what they they're really supposed to do. Of but course. if you actually hit them with, I'm fucking terrible right now, yeah. that would catch them so off guard and be like, okay, well, that was not what I was expecting because Correct. we don't ever go there. We always keep things up here. Correct. So I started, I instituted a number system with some of my closest people on a scale of zero to 10. Right now I'm a seven. This morning I was a, a zero when I was on the floor. This afternoon I might be a five. Maybe tomorrow I'll be an eight. Because there's no way for you to go through 
any loss, whether it's life, whether it's, whether it's, you know, a relationship, a person, an entity, an idea, there's no way for you to go through that and not experience a range. There's no way for you to say, I'm going to stay in this place. And I think, you know, one of the most telling things about the way we treat loss in this country is the fact that bereavement time. Uh, so I ended up looking it up from my book because I was very curious. The average corporate amount of bereavement time is one day for an extended family member and three days for an immediate family member. Mm-hmm. I took That's a, on par with my policies for the companies I've worked for. I, I took, I ended up having a full week, which I'm so grateful for. But if you think about what does a week even do by the time that week is over, it's not in the thick of things that you need people. It's when the dust settles that you do. It's when all the pop and circumstance is done. It's when all the thank yous mm. and the and the I'm sorry's and the it'll get better's are over. The flowers so, that they sent have wilted. That's that's when you need people. That's when you need the support. So for me, opening up a conversation and saying, listen, I'm very comfortable discussing death, not because I think it's, you know, an easy topic, but because it's something that's worth talking about. It's a conversation worth having. Because if you don't know the wishes of people in your life, it's going to be a very difficult situation down the road. If you don't know financial, like, let's talk about the hard, th- all of the hard things. That's what I'm trying to tell people. Let's talk about finances and sex and death and loss and all of the really uncomfortable things that nobody wants to say out loud. Mm-hmm. Let's get better at it. Because when you, yes. when you address it now, when you're face to face with it and you're head on, it's going to make it a lot easier down the road. Mm-hmm. Well, we love bringing that stuff even to this show because it takes hearing it from different sources. I feel like to start to make people be like, Oh, actually it's not so bad talking about that. Maybe I should have those conversations in my home. It's so interesting. You know, I, actually I was listening to a, um, a podcast of the host, her mother, uh, actually committed suicide when she was, I believe, 18. And um, her thought on it in terms of, you know, for people who want to help, she said, you know, I'm someone that really feels like checking in on someone, you know, two months after, mm-hmm. six months after, a year, and also be okay having the conversations even later down the line. She's like, I, I hate when people really try to scoot around the conversation or don't, you know, it's, and obviously it's different for everyone, but yeah, I mean, and, and everyone handles grief so differently. What is something that you wish that everyone knew about grief? You know, I, I just wish they realized that it's not, it's not an, it's a unique experience to everyone. There's no cookie cutter way to grieve. And because somebody appears to be laughing and doing well and having a great time doesn't mean they aren't grieving. I believe that grief will always exist with you. I think it's always going to be there. I think it will sit quietly in the background the longer that you go. I think it will make itself at home, but it's never going to overtake you as long as you don't allow it to. But I think it's unfair to judge somebody if they appear that they're doing well or if you think that they're doing much better than they should be, or, you know, 
if somebody is a widower, a widower, and they move on, you don't know the complexity of their life experience. You don't know what they've been through, what they're going through, what anyone is going through. I wish there was less judgment in general, but especially in the conversations about this sort of stuff, because there's this expectation that there's a certain decorum or there's a certain time period. Or the flip side of that is, why are you still sad? It happened six months ago. It happened a year ago. It happened 10 years ago. Why don't you get over it? That's the flip side of it. Every grief experience is a unique experience. And, you know, I have, I am, I am good most days, genuinely. But there are milestones that I have hit and have yet to hit that I know are going to be a rough time. So I tell people, and I have friends who check in with me during those times, and they know whether I want to be around them or not. They give me the opportunity to share how I'm feeling because it's not all sunshine and rainbows and it's not all easy. And it's not, you know, I have a very dear friend who experienced loss recently and I could not physically go to a burial. I couldn't do it. It was still too fresh. That is something that I know somebody will not judge me for because it's, it takes time and it takes your own courage and your own capacity. And to be fair, I may never be able to go again, but right now it wasn't, it wasn't something that I was capable of. So I think just giving, allowing people to give them grace. That's all. People deal with things differently. And if they're truly struggling, don't just ask if they're okay, do something for them. Send them a gift card for DoorDash so that they can get themselves dinner. Go over and watch their kids if they need a babysitter. Pick up something from the store and drop it off at their house. We as a society, and I think we do this for parents, we do this for you know people who are looking for a hand but don't know how to ask. We're really good at saying, let me know if you need anything, but we don't ever actually ask. From a distance. Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. We don't actually take the initiative. And I think taking the initiative and just saying, listen, I sent you a bag of groceries and it may not be perfect, but that's what you're going to get for now. That speaks volumes. Those things go such a long way. I mean, I think there's definitely a difference between an offer and initiative. Yes. Because sometimes offers, even the most like good intentioned offers still feel a little empty Uh without... I will tell you one of my one of my very very best friends who she and I were nurses together in the ICU and she's still to this day one of my my closest friends. She sent food to my dad's house literally like every day for like the entire week. We had so much food it was ridiculous because she said you guys need to eat. You're not going to eat. You're not going to think to eat. My other one of my Mm -hmm. like ride or die best friends. She went shopping for my mom's funeral dress with me. Like. Talk about somebody who is like really getting in there. And like, we, I mean, we had jokes. We both looked fabulous in our little black outfits going shopping and we made jokes. But those people, the people who are willing to step in and do those things, you know, it's not an easy conversation. But I will talk about it until I'm blue in the face with people because this is the reality of life. 
you have to accept that it's going to exist in your life at some place in some way. And knowing how to take that and, you know, I've learned how to turn my pain into something prolific. And I think that's something that other people can hopefully learn from. I was actually just quickly in that bloodline. Do you have for, for anyone who's going through a loss right now, or maybe has experienced something and um, they're just in it. Do you have any good tips or anything that you feel like, or any resources that might be good for them? You, you know, you, I actually, I have a list of resources in the back of my book for Perfect. some online grief resources that people can reach out to, whether it's children who are grieving, adults who are grieving, whatever it is. Um, but allow yourself to heal. Allow yourself to have grace. You don't treat yourself as though you would treat somebody that you love because we are often so hard on ourselves. And I think what happens with these circumstances is we go through periods of guilt. We go through the what ifs. We go through the I could have, I should have, I would have. None of that matters anymore. None of that matters anymore. So whatever it is that you need to do, whether it's travel, whether it's write, whether it's connect with other people in your life, take that and move in that direction. And if you truly are struggling, like depression, anxiety, they're very real. Mental health is a very real thing. Speak to a professional. And I mean that genuinely. There are so many apps. You can do it from your house. There are so many ways that you can mm -hmm. connect with somebody for professional advice. Because having these talks with the people around you may not always be as warm and fuzzy as you need them to be. Because everybody mm -hmm. discusses things differently. You know, for me, writing things down has just been truly life-saving. It has been a saving grace for me. And if you, you don't have to be a great writer. You don't have to be a good writer. You just have to write. You just have to put your thoughts down somewhere in your iPhone note, on a piece of paper, on a Word document. Because someday you're going to want to look back at how you felt during this time and see how much you've progressed. And I think that's crucial, especially when you're going through a time of such transition. What about for people that, because I feel like I'm kind of seeing this right now. I have like my best friend lost her mom, who was kind of like a second mom to me, but now she's got a newborn on top of a toddler and just kind of like going through it. And I'm always just like, how can I be a better like friend or support person to her? Do you have any advice for like people in my position or people like that of just like how to be that support? I think the fact that you are even asking this question is proof that you're already an amazing friend to her. The fact that you care enough to inquire and look for ways to be, be better at it is already huge. I have some of my dear friends and one of my very best girlfriends who she's like a highly connected soul sister of mine. She will check in frequently almost on a whim, almost just on a gut feeling. And mm -hmm. she won't necessarily bring up my mom, but she will always know when I'm in it, when I'm in a moment. Mm -hmm. And she sent me a picture the other day that she saw a little Ukrainian woman on the street smoking her cigarette mm -hmm. and having a coffee. And she was next to a rose garden. And she sent me a photo of her. And she said, she reminded me of your mom. Oh. It's, it's those genuine things. 
it's those genuine moments where you allow someone to know that you're thinking of them and know what they're going through, but you don't necessarily have to broach the topic in a very head-on way. Because the other, the other part that I've learned is that some people just can't discuss these matters and be functional. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately in life, you have to continue to be a parent. You have to continue to be a partner. You have to continue to be a good employee. So for many people, they can't talk about this the way I'm talking about it and still mm -hmm. exist and function. So they have to compartmentalize it. They have to stick it in the back mm -hmm. of their brain and not talk about it. And so my advice for you with, with regards to your friend is ask her, would you like to vent? Would you like to talk about it? Would you like me to distract you? Would you like me to bring up something that has nothing to do with it? What do you need? Because people will, right. will appreciate not being, they will appreciate not being forced into the conversation if they don't have the space for mm -hmm. it. That's really good advice because it is like hard. I mean, and then we, we just don't, we don't ask people like mm -hmm. what, what actually works best for you and to mm -hmm. assume sometimes does put them in a position that maybe they don't have the space for. I mean, I know um, in like my stepdad passed and I'm so different than my sisters are about how we talk about things and like even my mom and like mm -hmm. they're the type, like I'm a talker, like I want to talk about everything and I can't have those conversations with them because they don't have the space for it. But I've never actually asked and she's my best friend. I've known her since kindergarten, but I've never actually had that direct conversation to be like, what do you need? So I actually genuinely appreciate yeah, okay. that advice. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that I find works. And this is something that I find works too. If I'm having conversations in general with someone who it doesn't have to be lost. It could just be that they're, they're in it. They're in the thick of whatever life is, is chaotic. I will ask them, do you want advice or do you want events? Do you want, do you want, do you want me to help you or do you just want to get it out? Because I can do whatever you want me to do, but I need to know what you need right now. And that helps direct me so that I'm not giving unsolicited opinions or advice. If somebody is like, I just want to talk about it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's some valuable insight that I've been able to use in a lot of different circumstances with, with different situations with people. You're someone, I think, Sonia, that I, I've, I've been drawn, we've both been drawn to for a long time. And um, you said this in one of your blogs, the first step toward discovering what you want to do is recognizing who you want to be. I thought that was really interesting. And as we're closing out, I'm really curious, you know, from your standpoint, because here you are, you're a CRNA, now doctorate of CRNA. You've written these books. You've overcome all these things. How did you really dig into that? And do you have any advice to someone who's maybe in this in this phase in their life? You, what I've learned now, as I'm sitting here talking to you guys, after going through so many different versions of myself and discovering who I am at so many different junctures. My ultimate goal is to find joy. It's to find happiness. It's to find connection with other people. And if something doesn't bring me that, it doesn't belong in my life. And 
the person I was a decade ago would probably tell people, for instance, they're unhappy in their work, they're unhappy in their job. I would tell them, give it a shot. I'm not saying to get up and leave. But if you're miserable all the time, if you find no joy in what you're doing, it's okay to have a job that you're not passionate about as long as you have a source of joy. And I will always, no matter what I do professionally, writing and creating, whether I publish or not, will always bring me joy. It will always be a source of inspiration for me. It will always be something that gets me excited and passionate and makes me happy. As long as you have something that triggers joy in your life, you can figure out your path from there. And I think we are so, we are so bogged down by the reality of life, the everyday monotony, survival mode, paying bills, taking care of others, taking care of loved ones, that we put our joy on the back burner. And I genuinely believe that the key to a successful life, to a fulfilled life, to a fruitful life, is having a life of joy. I am not myself when I am not happy. And I know that truly. I, I've, and I've been, I've battled depression in the past. I battled situational depression, you know, burnout. I am not my true self when I am not happy. So when I have that source of joy and that place of joy, I know it because it, everybody else around me knows it and they feel it. It will truly impact you. So it doesn't matter. The degrees don't matter. Letters after your name don't matter. It's all nice. But if you're only doing it because you can only see yourself at an endpoint and you can't get anything from the experience of existing in it, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You will never look around and smell the roses around you if you're just staring at the garden in the distance. You won't. I would love just like a coffee table book of all your quotes. Me too. Because everything <laughs> you say is so powerful. You know, it's crazy because I... That's your next book. Yeah. Is literally, you need just a coffee table I'm book. Right, I'm, writing these, that, like, I'm writing that down. I'm writing it down book. right now. <laughs> And then in your foreword, you can thank, uh, I will, I will, (laughs) I will. Honestly, like I, cause I just like, I love like little things like that, but they're so profound. Well, what's interesting and you know, is why a piece of you, there's very deep. It's funny because your Instagram, you're so good with your quotes and like in the moment, it's almost like when your feed pops up or when your post pops up in that moment, I'm like, how did she just know that I needed this today? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's humor and a lot of it's just, but it's so, you are one of those people that I just think there's this level of deepness and sincerity and you're such a prolific writer, which I'm very jealous of because I struggle with writing, but yeah. I really, I love those deep messages and I love that. And I think there's this layer of you that honestly like I would love to bring you back and have we didn't even touch on any half the things we want to touch on but I think today's message was just so powerful and you're just one of the most profound it was so timely for me like I don't know this has been a tough month and everything because my stepdad's funeral was last month and then I'm dealing with my friends and everything so I'm just like I don't know this I just needed this episode today I'm 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 tired from traveling like I just flew in from LAX like two hours ago but I'm like this episode just like yeah. I'm fed my I'm soul so happy like I, I needed I'm it <laughs> truly so happy to hear that and I really appreciate that because you know 
we exist in a space where little little bites of entertainment and little snippets of something to distract our minds is the way that we exist, right? We scroll through videos mm-hmm. and we throw, scroll through photos and we look at memes and uh, there's a place for that. But to know mm-hmm. that whatever it is that I'm doing, which just doesn't really have a niche, is impacting you guys in a positive way, that, that really makes me happy to continue doing so because you're our kind of people girl i love it right back at you we're in this we're in that niche together I right think back that at that's you like i don't know we don't know what we're doing either but i'm like i love this, it this is, these are kind of conversations i love it um do you have anything good coming up that you want to shout out to the audience or um, anything coming up soon yeah i mean uh, lots of lots of exciting things that like because i'm my own boss i don't have time for them so i'm like i'm not gonna fire myself um <laughs> but my so my website recently launched um com, and I will be consistently blogging on there. I also am starting a webinar series that is hopefully going to be free for the continuing time frame. My first webinar is going to be this coming Friday. I know this will be post, you know, this is going to air after. But I'm hoping to take topics that people have messaged me about whether it's inside or outside of the hospital and do like a 30 minute webinar with a Q&A so that people can come in and and listen and the questions that I keep getting repetitively, I can sort of answer in one space. So I was working on that presentation today for like hours because I don't know how to do it any other way. Um, but it excites me. You know, I, I love teaching and I think any way that I can get my hands on some ways to, whether it's as a consultant or as an educator or whatever, um, that's going to be coming down the road. And I'm really, really, really hoping that I can get a book tour at least on the books for like fall of this year and do some in-person locations across the country. Let us know if you're in Southern California. Yeah. I mean, I, I might have to, I might have to plan it for there now, regardless. So. I mean, yeah. yes, there's yes. lots, lots of us. We need here. to meet you in person. I know. I, absolutely. I find copy of the book. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my hope is that and we can do another episode Oh, I with you guys we love doing live episodes i know amazing i may you know maybe i'll have to fly out we'll see i'll have i'll have okay. my people call your people and i am my own keep pe- us on your we love i am i am my own i am my people people and by that we mean we'll just yeah, DM yeah we'll each DM other. Each other. so, so yeah much. i'll just i'll dm you yeah awesome we love that for us i um, love you guys okay where can every platform where can everyone your books Oh, so yeah, I'm Nurse Sonia, S-O-N-J-A, um, on Instagram, and my website is nursesoniaknows.com. You can get any of my books on Amazon currently, who is driving me insane, um, and I will be recording my audio books for both uh, oh, Coffee with My Dead Mother yeah. and You Won't Feel a Thing in the studio in Manhattan in the next couple months. So the audio books are going to be out as well. Um, currently, like I said, they're on Amazon sometimes, sometimes Amazon's like, no, they're not. But, uh, I just sold out. <laughs> I just sold out and got some more inventory back now. So that's so exciting. Yeah. I, you, I mean, you're a best-selling author, all of these things. I mean, you are just wonderful, Sonia. We are so thankful for your time. I love you guys. Um, I really, it was so easy to talk you. to you. Yes. Get it. Well, I'm on Amazon right now ordering the book. Yeah. I, I know you. a few people I need this for. <laughs> and we I will link you. them in the bio as well. Awesome. We'll link all the resources in your website as well for everyone. Awesome. Um, 
Thank you. So thank much you guys. Just, really, thank you. It's phenomenal. Episode. Thank you. Okay, is she not also just the sweetest, like, <sighs> cutest human ever? Yeah. I love I, her vibes. Her vibes are amazing. I think today's conversation was just so insightful and deep and unexpected, and um, we needed this conversation yeah. today. Uh, we just, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and make sure you guys go follow her. Drop her a message. Let her know what you thought of this of this episode. I think it's so nice when you guys connect with the guests that we have on here because, you know, we're a community here. And that's the whole point is we want to, you know, grow together. So definitely drop her a message. And I did buy the book. The, oh, the you know what? I need to buy. I need to get it for. Yes. I want to actually get a couple copies. Yeah, so, there's yeah. a few people. Awesome. Um, and then we've linked all of these goodies there for you guys in the bio. As always, thank you so much, you guys, for listening. We just cannot express how much we we love you guys. You guys, every week, just, you know, the reviews you guys send in, it just means the world to us um, as we're, you know, working hard here and growing with you. It's been amazing. Make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. And you can check out all of our links in the bio, mm-hmm. but specifically both of our trips are live. They so are. you can now book Iceland Let's for New go. Year's Eve mm-hmm. and Bali still has a few spots left if you want those beachy vibes in the spring break. So I want to be sure I want to be cheersing champagne with all of you under the northern lights. Okay. That's what I want to be doing. No, seriously, though, the itinerary is phenomenal, but we'll actually be in the capital city on New Year's Eve, <sighs> which is like a big street party. It's one of the like top rated places destinations in the world to celebrate new year's eve because they do firework shows and everyone congregates in the street and it's like one giant party so the fact that we're actually specifically in the capital on new year's eve is perfection i cannot chef's kiss also just so you guys know so we have officially sold out of our up at dawn socks love you guys (laughs) like sold out um, I happened to get my hands on a couple pairs before we, uh, before we did officially sell out, sell out. So I'm holding up a hostage. So mm-hmm. if you leave a review, I, we will be entering, you will be entered to win a pair of the socks. So we, this is just another way of us saying, thank you. We absolutely love you guys. If you've already left a review, you know, grab mom's phone, leave us another review. Who knows? Yeah. You know, download, subscribe on an, on boyfriend's phone. Wink, Who knows? Wink, wink, <laughs> wink, nudge, nudge. So, um, if you guys leave the review, we'll be sending those out in the next couple of weeks and you will be entered to win a pair of our up at dawn socks. Yes. Love that for you. So make sure you leave your IG handle and we will get those out to you. Mm-hmm. And thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. And make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And stay tuned for a fun bonus. Woo! Bye. Bye.